Join Ian Garnick as we uncover the hidden marketing stories that shape our world, reveal the latest marketing tactics that will shape your future, and the amazing people that grow organizations, movements, and businesses. Learn to grow your business and shape the world around you. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show with Ian Garlic. And yes, it's Ian, not Ian. That's marketing too. Hey folks, what are you gonna learn today? You're gonna learn how to make surveys that can transform your business. We're gonna talk about the nine principles of customer feedback, why 98% of customer surveys are wrong, why net promoter scores suck, when and how to ask for the survey, how to increase engagements on the survey, and we're just going to nerd out and also talk about why you're using Cialdini's weapons of influence wrong and how to do it right with Dr. Matthew Champagne. Doc, thanks for being on the show. Oh, you are welcome. Thanks for having me here, Ian. And thank you all. And before we get started, of course, it's brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. At VideoCaseStory.com, we will talk to your customers. We will get their information. And we will create amazing case stories in conjunction with surveys like these. So make sure to go to VideoCaseStories.com to learn how to collect, craft, and deliver your case stories. All right, let's get started. Before we get started, 96 million data points. 8,000 surveys, 29 years of research. That's a lot. How did you get into this? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, well, I mean, that, it took me a while to kind of find my, you know, find my place, but because I've, I've been in the digital marketing world maybe about nine years or so. Uh, but it's just slowly dawned on me that so much of this is psychology. I'm a, uh, my PhD is in psychology. I taught at the university for a number of years. And uh, so there's lots of basic research. I met Cialdini that you had mentioned, Dr. Robert Cialdini, back in 1989 uh, as a grad student. And uh, he was already a legend at the time. Um, but so it, it's his area. And I brought a lot of that with me, all the data I've collected. And uh, I ran a company of my own for about 10 years and brought it to the digital marketing world. So a lot of what I talk about is old news in the universities and in other settings but so many of the, the digital marketers find it new and refreshing. Like, wow, that's a, a great idea. And I'm like, well, I wish it was mine. It's actually, you know, pulled from decades of uh, psychological research. So that's what I'm trying to do, bring what we know works in the science uh, over to folks to teach them how to sell better and more effectively and uh, just make the whole process less frustrating. Well, and I think, I mean, science is, is great. You know, a lot of people have, poo-pooed science recently, but I, I still believe in it. And, <laughs> and you know, it's like, and I always, you know, like to see where it, because there's so often in life, right, where things that we think should go one way, science proves should be the other way. And we have so many, I love talking about all these, you know, these brain malfunctions that we have in, inside of us, um, you know, uh, that, you know, like, that don't work. And, but science proves it wrong because we're thinking one way and science proves the other way. So, but what are, do you find are the biggest mistakes that are being made right now in marketing that science disproves? Oh, gosh. Let's see. Well, I mean, overall, there's just a, a lack of testing. So that's one thing I found when I, after a career as a professor and running my own business coming in here, uh, when people talk about testing, they'll say, well, we tested this headline, you know, uh, we did an A-B test or uh, we, you know, are using this assessment tool. 
and I ask them for their data and they don't really have any. So there's just this lack of systematic study of what's going on. So, so much of it is just, you know, taking people's word for it. There's like, oh, I, I use this technique. I use this formula. This is the formula that works, but there's really nothing to back it up except testimonials and things. It's so different coming from a science background that everything you said was challenged. You, you make a statement, you have a finding, and there's all your colleagues just questioning it and critiquing it and finding the flaws. And that's why science works so well is because it's being criticized all the time until you find some basic truths. So this whole notion of testing, even though we, they call it testing, it's, it's, there's nothing systematic about it. It's difficult to see what true outcomes are. What do you like to test the most? Well, I haven't, I haven't done much in the marketing field because now, now that I'm in here, I see how this works. You know, you're always, you know, there's new platforms, new, uh, you know, strategies going on. So that was part of my own failure for the first six or seven years until I finally stopped a couple of years ago and said, wait a minute, you know, I, I have this psychology background. I know how people think and react and behave. That's the study of psychology. And there's some basic principles behind that. Um, that are decades old, some's my research, most of it's from my colleagues and, and from the past. So I created this, what I call the nine principles of customer feedback. It's essentially saying, here's how things work because there's some psychology that, that underlies uh, the behavior. So not so much on the testing, but, uh, but bringing tests from, uh, from universities to this area. I mean, obviously, we do video case stories. It's customer feedback, and I think it's so crucial. Um, it, what do you, you know, tell me about these nine principles, first of all, because it, it's, you know, I think it's important because I think so many people do surveys and customer feedback the wrong way. Yeah, absolutely. I've, uh, I've reviewed and critiqued about 9,000 surveys over the years and really can count on two hands the number that are done absolutely correctly. And that's shocking to people because everybody, you know, has done surveys, uh, but we all feel the same way, right? They're, they're kind of, they're annoying, they're too long, they don't ask the right questions, uh, but there's some real, there's a skill set behind it. I think that's the problem is that it's so easy to create a survey, you know, you pull up SurveyMonkey or, you know, uh, Google Forms and put some questions on there, but there's actually a process behind that. There's a lot of math that goes on in, in surveys. Uh, so that's what those nine principles are about, is how to set up these questions correctly so that your audience wants to fill it out. They wanna fill out your surveys again and again, and that the results you'll get is actually meaningful and interpretable, which is almost never the case. And that's just been my experience over the, years folks give me a survey to critique or they'll give me the results from their survey and want me to interpret it and i have to say i can't because the questions were so poorly worded the mismatches between the questions and the response scale is utterly uninterpretable and that pretty much explains about 98 percent of all the the surveys out there unfortunately and so give me can you give me an example of that of a, of a poor question answer sure i'll pick one that's uh, I don't know how popular it is now. It's been, it's been popular for a couple of years. It goes something like this. Um, 
what is the biggest challenge you're facing? Okay, utterly uninterpretable for a couple of reasons. One, the rule in surveys is you want to make it clear and specific. So when I get that question, well, greatest challenge in what? My finances, my health, my family, my business. You know, what if my answer could have been, uh, you know, I've, it's taking me longer than three minutes to solve the Rubik's Cube. There's my challenge. And you as the survey maker are like, well, that, no, no, that's not what I meant. Okay. So th there's some lack of specificity. And also this notion of saying, what's the biggest? We never say that in surveys. What's the greatest, the biggest? Because now people have to stop and think. Go, oh, yeah, I've got a lot of problems. How about this one? No, 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 wait a minute. I got a, I got a bigger problem. And once you get them thinking and trying to, then you've lost them. The whole point is to get people to smooth ride right through your survey, answer every question with their gut reaction. So a better way of phrasing that is what is one challenge that you are facing in uh, the amount of income in your business this month? And then people are like, oh, well, I, I need a programmer. Uh, you know, this client isn't paying. But, you know, responses come to mind and that's what you want to get at. You don't want to give your folks this challenge, this obstacle course of a question. So that's that's just one of many, many examples. Oh, awesome. And yeah, just so you know, we you download that nine principles of customer feedback uh, at MatthewChampagne.com slash garlic. Put a link in the show notes if you're on YouTube. Check that out below. But uh, so, Matt, you know, you did this then. You took this survey knowledge recently to help the cruise lines, correct? Yeah, that was a that was a fun. That was a dream come true because my family and I, we've cruised, I don't know, 20, 25 cruises. We love to cruise. Always want to do some business with them. Uh, and it didn't happen until the pandemic. It was the Saturday. Uh, I got the call from Europe on a Saturday saying, hey, we need your survey conversation. That's the methodology I use to get people to respond and get good interpretable feedback. This is the problem for the cruise lines is the cruise lines will shut down tomorrow. We have 54,000 travel agents worldwide for all the cruise lines, and we want them to stay paying members, yet they have nothing to sell. <laughs> they have no product. There will be no cruises for the future. How do you keep members when they don't have any money or income and they're discouraged? Um, but it worked. That's we, we applied the survey conversation, which is essentially asking the right questions in the right way of the travel agents in a prioritized form. And then most importantly, which is one of the principles, closing the loop, sharing the results back with them immediately. So that's the key is we'd ask a question on Monday and then on Friday, we'd say, oh, great to hear from everyone. Here were the top five answers we heard. Here are the five biggest challenges all you travel agents are facing. Just thought you'd like to see what your colleagues are doing. Then people, you got their attention. They're like, wow, my voice was heard. What I said made a difference. The next week, we would ask them another question on a survey. At the end of the week, we'd share the results. On the third week, we did this for eight weeks. And the response rate went up and up and up, as it always does when you use this process. People say, 
you know, I must be faking the data. They're like, people get survey fatigue, right? Well, like, no, not if you do it correctly. Why would they not respond? Because every time they answer, they learn what their colleagues, other people like them, how they're facing the same challenges, what they're doing in their business. How are they keeping their whales of the, the big uh, client, uh, cruise spenders? How are they keeping them? And they're learning from each other, sharing results. When we finish the eight weeks, we got all this email from the travel agents worldwide saying, hey, where's the next survey? Where's the survey? Wow. It's kind of a strange thing, people asking you for the survey. And we said, well, why do you want the survey? And they said, because I made a difference. I made an impact on the cruise line. I helped them during this pandemic to get better. And I wanted to tell them what you really did was you clicked a button on your computer. You know, you clicked a radio button. That's what you did in reality. But in their mind, they felt they made a difference because they did. That's how surveys should be used. It's meant to build community. It's meant to keep your membership. It's meant to make people feel heard. That's what it's about. Wow. That's powerful. That's powerful because so often, I mean, I just see so many surveys are just, I can tell are done wrong. So I can imagine what they look like to you, but then to be able to flip it around and make it that powerful. And that's essentially a B2B survey too, correct? Because it's, it's, you're, you're going to the um, to the travel agents, not it's not the consumer. Yeah, that's right. And they felt, you know, they were helping each other. They wanted to, you know, continue this. The cruise line. So it helped the travel agents. It helped the association that represents 95 percent of the world's cruise lines because they got them to re up their membership. But it also helped the cruise lines because they were taking all this information from their best people, their travel agents, the ones that know they were incorporating Royal Caribbean and Carnival and and uh, Norwegian and all that were publishing this data on the website for the CDC. And it all went into the decisions of how to reopen in a in the best way, asking their people, their travel agents. So it was a win 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 for all. Nice, nice. And so tell me about the process then of did you were these custom questions or did you were they customized questions? Are they templated questions? How long, how? Yeah, there, it's the process is usually I ask a client, you know, if your person was right in front of you, your member, your student, your customer, your patient, whoever your respondent is, if they were right in front of you, what would you ask them? If you had unlimited resources, you have the rest of the week to sit there and ask them questions, what would you ask them? And people will list them out. And it's a real eye-opening exercise because when people just put a survey together, it just, you know, there'll be redundancies and, and things that aren't relevant. But when you ask them, look, if you had the time to do it. So we take that list and then we put those questions into a, a format. That's where the, the science and the skill comes in, is framing the questions, because all you have is an online form. If you're right in front of me, you know, I can say, hey, Ian, what do you think about this? And tell me more and let's clarify. And you can really get down and I could really figure out what's in your head. But we don't have unlimited resources. We just send people to a Google form or to SurveyMonkey and we hope that that is the same as, you know, drilling down. And it's not. 
unless you ask the questions in the right way, in the right order, with the right follow-ups. And that's where uh, you know a lot of the, the, the skill comes in. So I do take information from each client. What would you like to ask? And then massage it to make sure it's going to get lots of responses and accurate responses. That's, you know, I, I find because we do so many interviews, right? And, I, and obviously I do interviews here on, on, on podcast, but I've been doing interviewing for 15 years. We have an interview process for videos and we have an interview process for video case stories. And that's why I tell people all the time is how important it is, how you ask the question, when you ask the question, how you frame the question. And I find that so fascinating because people, I think we way undervalue question asking how and how it's done, don't you? Yeah, that, that's a big part of it. And the other part is the, you know, what I call the, the matching between the question and what they call a response scale. So strongly disagree to strongly agree, that would be a response scale. So you have to have the right question, but then the instrument that you're using has to match. And that's another big flaw. People will ask a good question, but then the scale they use is a mismatch. They're using, you know, like a true false or a frequency scale when they should be using a satisfaction scale. Uh, it's very subtle difference, but it has an enormous impact on your results. Kind of like the, the worst scale ever created, to my knowledge, is called the net promoter score. It is everywhere. It has been everywhere for 15 years. I don't think it's ever going anywhere. It's the one that says, would you recommend a friend or colleague to use this product or be with this person on a zero to 10 scale? This that net promoter score has been responsible for more misery in this world because what happened was the, the creator of the scale said, you know what, every human on earth is the same. So when they give you a nine or a 10, that means good. If they give you a seven or an eight, that's not good, which violates the first rule of psychology. People are different. So <laughs> we did this study, gosh, 10, 12 years ago with the net pr promoter score, we gathered about 600,000 responses and a huge percentage of people, maybe not huge, I mean, it's probably eight to 10%, but a significant number of people would choose an eight. So I'd ask you, you know, what, what do you think of the, of the service? And you'd say an eight. Well, that really hurts me because an eight gives me a negative rating. You're like, I, I don't get promoted, I don't get a raise. And I'd ask you, well, why did you give me an eight? And you'd say, well, well, because 10 is perfect, right? Yeah. Only God gets a 10. <laughs> well, what about a nine? Well, nine is almost perfect. I never give nine. So I gave you an eight. An eight means you're great. I would recommend you to everybody. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, well, that's how it's a mismatch. because That's what you're thinking. You're thinking eight is great, but the scale forces, you know, this misinterpretation of it. So net promoter score, one of the worst because of its rigidity and assuming everyone thinks the same, uh, very harmful. So you have to settle that part of the, the survey equation as well. Interesting, interesting. And so, you know, what about, you know, timing of surveys too? Like you said, it's like the, that feedback loop, but is there a perfect time to be doing a survey? Because I mean, decision-making is really based on timing, isn't it? Yeah, I think you've already read the nine principles here because you keep, you know, referring to this. So we talked about closing the loop. That's actually principle five. 
The timing is principle three. The timing and frequency has to be addressed, just like you said. Um, but so often, for as long as I've been in the business now, 30 years, we're always asking at the end, you know, the, the vacation is over. How was it? Your flight is over. How was it? The course is over. How was it? We call that the autopsy approach. You wait till the event is over to figure out what went wrong. Just it wasn't acceptable 30 years ago, and it's definitely not acceptable now. So the, the answer is you ask the question when it can make a difference to the person filling it out. So when would I ask you about uh, a conference that you're attending? A conference is coming up. The time to ask you is before the conference. To ask you, Ian, what would make it totally worth your time to come to travel to this event? Who do you want to meet? What topics would best help your business? The time to ask the questions is before the event. And then ask again during the event. How are we doing? Did we answer your questions? Are you dissatisfied with anything? Are you going to show up for day three or are you frustrated? What can we do to help? You ask during the event. And then, of course, you ask at the end. So it should always be a before and a during and end. That's the frequency. If you're doing something important, if you really want your people to stay forever, if you want to keep customers, you ask them before and during and after in a continuous basis. That's why we call it survey conversation. I, I love it. You know, it's, it, we do the same thing with, I tell people always, they always ask me about customer stories. When's the best time to ask for a customer story? And that's exactly what I tell them. Like you need to be collecting that story along the way if you're doing it the right way, having, like you said, a survey conversation, having a conversation, people get used to it. They don't get annoyed. And it actually, and it sets them up and it frames them too to think about what success is and think about what's important. And then also, you know, we talk about a year later, ask them what, you know, what did they do? What was that transformation a year later? Um, and it's fantastic to hear that because I, I agree. People always want to go at the end or they wait till the perfect moment. They wait too long. Right? They're like, I'm gonna wait till someone's really good and then I'm gonna send them over to serve. Uh, I, I think that's best. Uh, yeah, just continuous. The, the travel agents, that was eight asks and they wanted to know when was the ninth survey coming out. We've done it with training programs where we, we asked it 23 days in a row. Wow. <laughs> and you would think, wow, they must get sick of that. No. The response rate on day 23 was the same as the response rate on day one, about 94, 95%. Because every time they responded, we closed the loop. We said, oh, you said this? Well, guess what? Other people said something different. Just thought you'd like to know. And, and you said this, but other people, here's how you compare to others. So they just kept wanting to respond to see where they fit in and how their advice was being used. A conversation. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's that's. I just love that because it's such a subtle thing. Like all everything you're talking about is very subtle, but it makes a huge, huge difference. Uh, yes. And so who should be doing this? Who should be surveying their clients and, and doing exactly what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, of course, my answer will be everyone <laughs> because, uh, you know, the survey really is our most powerful tool, but we've just misused it all the time, nobody's fault except, you know, few people know that there's, you know, some skill and, and there's a process uh, behind this. But if you're doing a webinar, that's, I've been teaching this 
you know, forever that people register for your webinar right there. You're asking a question like, what do you expect from this webinar? What would you like to learn? What are topics are important? Then when this camera turns on and the folks are there, now you know them. And I tell people, why would you wait until the webinar starts and then say, hey, where's everyone from today? Oh, okay, Atlanta. Like, what You wanna know your people before the event. When that camera turns on, I wanna know what their pains are and their problems and, and why they're there. So we ask questions before, and then when the camera turns on, I start right off saying, welcome to my webinar. Here's what I heard from you, bing, bing, bing. These are the six things that you wanna hear about today. I have all this stuff to share with you today, which is important. I'll get to that in a minute. Let me answer your questions. And people are like blown away. Like, wow, you heard what I had. I filled out a survey and you heard it. And now you're, now you're addressing it. Now you're building this trust with your people, especially for a webinar. You know, that's a difficult thing. If it's a sales webinar in 45 minutes or an hour to be able to get people to trust you enough to buy your solution. So why not? help yourself and get people trusting you and proving it right from the get-go. It just makes that process go so much uh, smoother. That's great. It's great. And it shows that you're, you care. Exactly. And for people like me, I mean, I've seen people do sales webinars. Some of these guys are just geniuses. Uh, you know, we all know those, those people who just like have this charisma and 30 minutes into the webinar, you're, you got your wallet out, you're ready to pay them whatever, you know, but I'm not that guy. I, I can't, you know, I don't have that aura. So I need the psychology. I need to connect with my audience before the event and then during the event, prove to them, just like you said, that I do care. And I, I know your time is valuable. So that's why I asked you ahead of time to make sure I get you the answers that you need. Yes, yes, I think that's it. And so in your surveys, here's a, you do open-ended questions. It sounds like I said, I heard radios, checklists, yes, no, true, false. Do you do also the whole write me an answer, Ryan Lebeck, ask method? Yeah, it, it's so important. But again, it has to be structured cor correctly. Terrible way to ask a question is, any questions? <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Uh, because now people w will answer, and their answers might be irrelevant, or it might be about things that you can't change or fix or address. So now you've compounded the problem. You're asking people for their feedback. They use the open-ended boxes to give you your feedback and now you can't act on it. So it's devastating to ask the wrong question on an open-ended. You wanna ask something very specific in that that you know allows them to answer it and then most importantly you got to close the loop you got to come back to them and tell them you heard what they had to say so we do a, a mix of open-ended and and uh and uh, closed-ended as well and so you know we talk about feedback loops and we're talking about all these things and you know it leads into that conversation of Cialdini and uh the persuasion tactics um and you said that people are using them all that they're using them wrong and marketers are using them wrong. We've talked about it beforehand. I think that happens a lot. You know, someone reads something, they read one little piece of information, they go out and they're like, I'm an expert. Tell me, how, let's, well, let's, first of all, let's go over a few of the principles and how people are using them wrong specifically. Sure. And I should preface by saying it's not 
you know, Matt Champagne saying it's wrong. It's actually Dr. Robert Cialdini, the author of the book, is the one who said, we're, we're doing this wrong. You know, you have to you have to understand, you know, the, the principles before you teach them and use them. And it makes such a huge difference. And that's what people are so excited about when I show them this, because they're told the principles like authority, scarcity, social proof, liking, commitment, consistency. These are powerful principles that Cialdini says create what he calls an automatic, mindless compliance, uh, getting you to say yes. So if you're using these tactics, social, social proof and all that, and people aren't automatically saying yes, well, there's a reason for it. One is you're probably stacking it like I did. I made this mistake for years even though I knew Cialdini, you know, going back to the 80s, I knew his research, but for whatever reason, I just said, oh, well, these digital marketing gurus must, you know, know something that I don't. So I did the same thing. I'd use some scarcity and social proof, and then I'd do my authority. And Cialdini said, never do that. That's exactly what you don't do. The point of the principles is you pick the one, the one principle that naturally occurs in the situation, and you point it out to your people. So one of those principles is authority. Well, you know, I have a PhD. I'm a researcher, a scientist. I got these little fancy degrees on my wall. So that's my go-to to say, in this area, I'm an expert and I can help you with this. I can't help you with your tennis game or your, you know, marital situations. You know, I'm, I'm not an expert on most things, but in this area, you know, I have these degrees and the research and things. So I draw that out. I, I make that apparent to people. But I don't then stack on social proof and scarcity and urgency and say, hey, buy now before midnight. And Cialdini says, no, you pick out the one. And he has a bad name for these folks. He calls them smugglers of influence. He says, you want to be a detective of influence. You pick out the one salient uh, principle that's in the situation. He said, you don't want to be what he calls a smuggler, somebody who stacks authority, scarcity, social proof, liking in, in order, because he calls these weapons of influence. And, you know, you only need one weapon. You don't bring eight weapons uh, to your audience. When you do that, that's why it feels icky. That's why it feels uncomfortable. It feels like you're being salesy because you are because you're misusing the principle. So that's what I teach people is find the one, draw it out. It feels so much better. Your audience sees that in you. They react so much more positively. It just makes the sales process much smoother and gets you to a yes faster. Yes, that's awesome. That's great advice. And why does it feel icky? What is it? Is there like a, a point where we start to realize it? Why do you feel it feels not? Good. <laughs> yeah, I, I taught a, a, a course on this. The, the short answer is these tactics we're talking about all come from a dark age of psychology that is following World War II. The question for psychologists was, why did this happen? Are, are people just evil or can good people be taught to do bad things? So there were thousands and thousands of studies, we call them compliance and conformity and obedience. And we brought subjects into the lab in the 1940s and 50s and 60s. 
and had them say things that weren't true, had them give uh, testimonials that were false. They put them into prisons, fake prisons. They did all these studies that are so heinous, we can't even do them anymore. As a psychologist, I am forbidden to do these studies that they did in the 50s and 60s, but they were done. And Cialdini took these studies and he gave them new names. He called them authority and social proof and reciprocity. It's those principles come from dark psychology. That's why they work, we, to get people to say things they don't believe, to see things with their own eyes and lie about it. We were able to do that in the lab. And it's from those studies that these principles are drawn. So why do they feel icky? Well, there's a deep psychological reason. You're playing with a weapon of influence that's supposed to be used lightly like a seasoning. So when you pile them on, you're actually hitting your audience with multiple weapons. They're all drawn from, you know, from a, from a dark place in psychology. So that's why it feels icky and wrong. If it doesn't feel icky, well, th there's a problem <laughs> because it should, you know, fr from a human uh, perspective, uh, it, it should feel like not the way you'd want to be sold to and not the way that you'd want to be talked to. And it's really not how we treat people in real life. You know, if you walked into a, a Target or a Walmart and we're looking at some camping gear and somebody came over to you and started using these tactics on you, you know, like, hey, that's a great camping gear. You know, you got to buy it. Uh, there's only two of them left. You got to get it now. If you get it tomorrow, it's going to be too late. It's going to cost three times as much, you know. We don't use those principles. We don't use those sort of tactics in real life. But for some reason, when people are virtual and we're talking to an audience, we're told, oh, that's fine. That's how people want to be sold to. No, that, that's that's not what Cialdini said, the original author. Wow. Yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah it, it's interesting. It's interesting that we thought we've come to that point and now we have to unprogram ourselves, right? <laughs> and how, I, I think it's interesting how it like kind of feeds upon itself and and you, you see this, you see this also in, in diet, uh, you know, diet advice, right? Where it's like myths become, or ideas become poorly used and then they're more poorly used, but then they become almost like, uh, you know, uh, doctrine and it's the wrong, completely wrong thing. Uh, that's facing yeah. And you're going to be teaching a class on this, correct? And how to use it properly. Yeah, I've been, I taught a, a session last uh, spring and again in the fall. <clears throat> so it, it's gone over really well because I get the reaction that I wanted. People say, wow, that's why. It, it makes so much sense to them. So again, it, just what you said, it's simple. It's, it's not like anything complex here. You use the principles the way they're written in the book because that's based on the research of 40 or 50 years uh, that works. So you just apply those. Uh, so I've turned that into an ongoing training and put together just in an evergreen format, uh, lesson one, essentially. So in this uh, evergreen, I explain just what we're talking about here. This is what Cialdini said. And then I walk through social proof, because I think that's probably one of the most commonly used uh, influence levers to get people to say yes is telling people about the testimonials and who's used your product, uh, which is done wrong. 
again, according to to Cialdini, and it's some very fine distinctions. So I explain those to people in the training, and then I invite them to, you know, take the full training where, where we cover all eight of Cialdini's principles. Nice. And where can we get access to that training? Oh, I guess I'll put that uh, in a in a link here somewhere. It's one of those complex uh, links there, but uh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. If you can I'm sure you'll email it out. So if you all sign up for the uh, on there, um, uh, the garlic, you know, the mattchampagne.com, slash garlic. We'll make sure Doc Champagne sends it to you. Well, yeah, absolutely. This is awesome. So, how does someone work with you? I I want a survey done. I want to improve my webinars. How do I, I go about working with? Yeah, I guess on the survey side for years and years, I've done, uh, I've called it critique my survey. That sounded kind of harsh after a few years. I called it review my survey. Uh, it's mostly used by uh, evaluators, corporate trainers, um, you know, folks in, in big organizations where you have an important survey you got to get it right might be an employee survey or a customer feedback survey an alumni survey um, and they send me the survey and i go through it in a in a video format i just put it on the screen just live and i walk through it and point out all the fatal flaws in the in the survey i'm looking for three things one is i want super huge response rate which is an enormous problem with surveys. Most people send out a survey and they get a few responses and then they take action. And I'm horrified because I'm like, wait a minute, that's not representative <laughs> of your people. You know, but I'll ask, well, how many people filled it out? And they'll say, oh, 20. I'm like, well, is that 20 out of 40 or 20 out of 40,000? It makes a huge difference. Um, and, but a lot of people just take the data that they have and they run with it because it's all the data they have. So we want to make sure you get huge response rate. I'm always shooting for 80% on most surveys, most circumstances. And second, we want to make sure that the results are interpretable and meaningful. And then third, we want to give your people a great experience, like the travel agents who wanted to fill it out again and again, even after it ended. That's what we want. We want people to go, wow, where's the next survey? Because now you've got them. Now you've got them in this habit that every time you ask an important question, they will respond and they get something out of it. And then you'll ask another important question and they respond. That's my whole, you know, MO is keep your customers forever. Keep your members forever. Keep your patients or your clients. And to me, you do that by asking the right questions through survey, sharing the results, showing them how they're opinions were used, show them how they compare to others. And we find people don't want to go anywhere. I've done this for chiropractors, dentists. Like, why would you go to any other chiropractor? Because you're asking me these questions, you're sharing results. You know, I, I feel like I'm making your business better. And that's what it's all about. You ask the people who can make your business better, the right questions, they respond, and then you continue to give them results. And it just creates this gravitational force on your on your people well it's 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 so so important so important and yet it's so underutilized it's amazing to me how little people give feedback from their clients it's just well, business, it, business business but it's uh, the biggest obstacle has always been 
uh, folks that either don't see it or maybe they don't want to hear the results. I, I had one client, uh, big company, everyone would know who they were, uh, gave me a, a survey to review, 110 questions. <laughs> and I said, in my own way, like, oh, well, let me help you, you know, let me just, you know, modify a few of these questions. I remember the uh, stakeholder, I'll never forget what she said. She said, I will take you to the mat if you change one question on that survey. What? <laughs> so out it went, 110 questions. And of course, they got what you would expect, like one half of 1% response rate yeah. and, and useless information. But multiply that by, you know, many, many, many organizations, many entrepreneurs as well. They just say, well, I know how to answer. I know how to ask questions, you know. Uh, so even when you tell them, as I did one client, a government client just last week, I looked at their survey. I said, well, you have 23 errors in this survey that is making your results misinformation. And they said, oh, OK, can you, you know, can you make can you improve? You know, can you work on it for free? What? <laughs> I'm like, no, I really can't. But that's a that's a common common theme. It's like, and then you say, well, no, this actually will cost you something. Oh, no, thanks. You know, I, I don't. You know, we don't. We don't. I'm like, this is a critical piece of your your customer feedback. I'm telling you right now, there are errors. So the results you're getting from your customers are misinformation. Yeah. Yet, for some organizations, it's like, well, that's all right. At least we're asking. Yeah, and then like, they spend a hundred thousand dollars on a logo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, don't get me started on logos. Logos <laughs> are important, my friends, but this is much better investment of time and money. I mean, really, and for anyone with it that has any amount of customers, I can't imagine this not being an incredible investment. Um, so make sure you've got it. Where's the best place to follow you? Well, well I think that's the start where, where you had mentioned go to MatthewChampagne.com slash garlic pick up that, uh, in, that infographic of the nine principles. And of course we use good psychology here. When you go there, you just get it. Uh, you don't put it your name or email. There's no reciprocity exchange for that. Get the infographic, but there is a link on there that's an explainer video. So if you click that, it will ask your name so it can give you that video, but that will walk you through the principles. So either download it and compare it to your own surveys, compare it to your own processes that you're using to ask uh, feedback from your clients or patients or members and just find the gaps there. See if the timing and frequency is right. See if you have a single purpose. That's principle number one. Just compare those principles with what you're doing. And if there's gaps, then, then fix those or just reach out to me and I'll tell you more about how to fix those gaps. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Doc, Dr. Matthew Champagne, thank you so much for being on the Garlic Market Show. I love this. This was fantastic. Oh, you are welcome. It's fun to be here. And thank you for taking Doc Champagne and I on your journey. This has been I, Garlic, and the Garlic Marketing Show. Video. You know it will make you an authority. You know it will get you more leads, better leads that close faster and spend more with you. And video stories will help you be remembered and connect with those perfect clients. The problem is, where do you start? 
storycruise.com is the place to go. It's like a film crew with an S. What's your strategy? Do you do it yourself? Do you hire a videographer, an agency? Do you need an editor? How do you know if they really know your business and how to make videos for business that work? The answer to all of this and more can be found at storycruise.com. It is the place to find the latest video marketing strategies, the best gear for your business, as well as videographers, editors, and agencies near you that are trained in video storytelling for business. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get special insider info for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show, including special access to several of my courses, including my case story course. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get a whole bunch of special offers just for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show. Whether you're looking for a videographer or to do it yourself, go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get started today. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow I and Garlic on Facebook. 